if you have your Bibles, chapter 4, verse, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 22. And I, I want to ask the question, what comes to our minds or what comes to your mind when you think of a politician? When you think, don't, don't answer. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Just, let's think about these questions. <laughs> when, 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 when you, when, when your mind, when it comes to a politician or it comes to a defense attorney or even a televangelist or a professional athlete, there are some, certain things that come to our mind, certain views we have of them. Uh, chances are we, we all have our own impression of this, but maybe a better question would be, what comes to our mind when we hear someone has become a Christian? I would think that I would be right to say that we all have our own impression of what it means to be a Christian. That when we hear of someone becoming a Christian, we, we get excited and then we begin to examine. <laughs> uh, we begin to watch them while we're excited for them to see how they walk and how they talk as if they're going to answer to us. We have a tendency to do this from time to time. Um, the, follower, the first followers of Jesus Christ, do we, I, I want you to realize they weren't called Christians. As a matter of fact, we don't see the word Christian until we get to Acts chapter 11 in verse 26. The Bible says in, in Acts 11 and 26, and when he had found him, meaning Barnabas. When Barnabas had found Saul of Tarsus, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a while they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, we'll find the word Christian three times. We'll find it here in chapter 11. We'll find it also, I think it's in chapter 26 where King Agrippa says to Paul, you've almost convinced me or you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Also in 1 Peter chapter 4, we find that, that, that Peter speaks about the sufferings of Christians. And we don't see the word anymore in the scriptures. But what we do see in the scriptures 281 times is the word disciple. Throughout the Bible, we find that, that the word disciple is used as it's describing Christians. As a matter of fact, some scholars say that the word Christian was a derogatory word to those believers or those disciples. I don't really get that, but, but what we know is that they were disciples that in itself should be enough for us to see that to be a Christian is more than just being a believer in Jesus Christ that to be a Christian we should be striving to become a disciple 
There is a difference in being a Christian and a disciple. And simply put, the Christian is merely a believer in Jesus Christ. And the Christian has received Jesus Christ and accepted him as their Lord, as their Savior. But the difference in a disciple is that the disciple has made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. When he becomes our Lord, we follow him. As we look in this passage in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we begin to see that every born-again Christian is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us this in these verses. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. (laughs) Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat (laughs) And their father and followed him. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you for each home that's represented here today. And we ask God that you would move and minister upon us. Move and minister in us and through us in a manner, God, that would be pleasing to you. And if there's one here by chance who doesn't have a relationship with you, Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray, God, that today would be the day that they'd come to the saving knowledge of your grace. May you have your way in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as we look at these verses, I want to give you a little bit of information that will help us as we go through this, this, uh, this message. All Hebrew boys at the age of five, began studying the law of Moses. What we call that is the Torah, those first five books. At the age of five, every Hebrew boy began studying this, and somewhere around the age of 10, all the young young boys knew the Torah very well, and the best students remained to study the rest of the Old Testament. Now, the rest of the students, those that may not have been the best or those who may have not have been as interested or those that the scholars thought that weren't going to make it, they went back home and they began to work in their family's business. Around the age of 17, a Hebrew boy who wanted a career in religious studies He was to find a rabbi, one that he admired, a rabbi, a teacher. Find one that he admired and he would apply to become his disciple. How would he apply? He would find out where he's teaching and he would go and sit at his feet. As he sat at his feet, that was his request that he wanted to be a follower, a disciple of this rabbi. The rabbi would go on to examine the young boy. 
and he would test him with questions and decide whether or not he's worthy of being a disciple. Only the smartest and the most talented of young men were chosen by the rabbi to be disciples. Now these rabbis were extremely particular about who they chose to be a disciple. They were particular because they weren't interested in just someone who would, they could teach to know what they know. But they wanted someone who would do what they did. This was important. The young men would follow the rabbi, imitating them in every way. In other words, we would say it this way, here's my mini-me. Here's this, here's my clone. You know, when you've got a little boy who looks just like his father and he's walking around, we'll say, there's his mini-me. Or a little girl, in my case, who looks just like her mother, uh, she'll follow around and she grows up being her mother's mini-me. Here, these rabbis would walk around and there was young men following them around being their mini-me, studying every move they made so that when the rabbi had moved off the scene, he knew someone else would conduct themselves in the same manner in which the rabbi did. This was important to them. Well, as we turn to our attention to this passage, we begin to see that the greatest of all rabbis done things a little different. Can we agree? Can we agree that Jesus is the greatest teacher that there ever has been? He is the greatest rabbi to ever walk the face of the earth. And he does things a little different. He does things a little unconventional. He doesn't always follow the line of tradition. Oh, you get in trouble saying that around Lumbee people or around native people because we are very traditional people. But here we find Jesus isn't as concerned about tradition as he is about doing God's will. When we look in this passage, we see that, that here Jesus walks up. He comes on the scene and all of a sudden he sees some men. Now, what, I, what we have to understand about this is that when he sees these men, he's not seeing the best. That, Jew, that the Jewish nation has to offer. Here, he, well, the Bible teaches us, it says here that, that Jesus, while walking on the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. He saw Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. Going on a little farther, Jesus saw two more brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they were in a boat with their father, mending their nets, and Jesus called them to follow him. What we notice here is that Jesus, the greatest rabbi, chose these four men. These four men did not choose him. You know, that's a little contrary to what tradition was. We said earlier at around the age of 17, those boys would go find, they would go and find that, that scholar, that, that rabbi, that great teacher, and they would make their request known. Here, Jesus, he sees four men who the Jewish nation would not see as men fit to be taught by the greatest rabbi, and Jesus goes after them. I want you to know I don't care where you've been in your life. I don't know what, what all you've done and what you haven't done. But what I do know is if you're in this place right now, in this moment, you're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. It's because he is choosing you right now. Amen. 
here what we'll find is, is that these disciples, Jesus, to be a disciple, you must be chosen. You must be chosen. Here, as we look at this, Jesus has, is choosing these men. Men that the most respected rabbis would not even look at. John MacArthur said this. He said, God skipped all the wise of the day. The greatest scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary that it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts is who Jesus called to be disciples. That's who he chose. He chose. You know, what we must understand is Jesus chooses us to follow him. It's him who initiates us having a relationship with him. He chooses us and every born-again believer who is a born-again believer simply because Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, called us. He chose us to believe on him and receive him as our Lord and Savior. Some of us think that we aren't good enough that for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to choose us, but he's not looking at us as the world looks. The world looks at those who have the greatest skill set. The world looks at those with the most potential. The word, but, but this isn't what's important to God. We ask the question, why? Why isn't this important to God? Because much too often when we've got a great skill set, much too often when we've got a lot of knowledge, we will depend on that rather than leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. We'll want to rely on our ability and never tap into this great and awesome power that God wants to use in our lives. We begin to trust ourselves instead of leaning on him. And folks, truth is this. It's only when we're weak that he's able to make us strong. Second Corinthians 12 and 9 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God wants to use us. He wants to use us in our families. He wants to use us in our workplaces. And if you're here today, he wants to use you. God's choosing you. It's time for you to stop making excuses. It's time to stop saying what God doesn't want you to do. That God's not able to use you. It's time to stop saying what you can't do. God is not interested in your ability. What he wants is your availability. God's not interested in what you can do for him. He's more interested in what you will allow him to do through you. And because of that, (laughs) he wants to make you into a disciple. But not only do we see in this passage that he chooses the disciples or that the disciple must be chosen. We see that a disciple is commissioned It's not just that he chooses us, but he commissions us. Looking at in the text, we find that these disciples were commissioned by Jesus. First thing we see is the four men that were chosen were told by Jesus to follow me. Being a disciple is not rocket science. (laughs) It really isn't. 
We want to sometimes think this is too hard or this is too much, but it's not that hard. We tend to think it's the hardest thing in the world to do until you become one. And when you become one, you're, you're usually saying, and agree with me if you believe this to be true, that I wish I'd have done this a long time ago. <laughs> Churches, along with man-made rules, has often confused us to think that serving Jesus is hard. But Jesus makes it simple for us. He simply says, follow me. If we want rules and regulations of being a Christian or being a disciple, we follow Jesus. How do we follow him? We do as he did. Jesus said for us to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what that means is that we, we love God more than anything. Jesus never speaks of doing his own will. He always speaks of doing the will of the Father. And if we're going to follow him... And that he loved his neighbor, also that he loved his neighbor as he loved himself. Jesus done for others just as he would have wanted others to do for him. Amen. We know this because in Mark 10 and 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, too often we want people to serve us. So if I want people to serve me, then I must serve others. Amen. If I'm going to do unto others as I would have them do unto me. And you know, we, we do it without harboring any grudges if we don't get served. <laughs> why, why was this so important to Jesus? He wanted to make Peter, Andrew, James, and John fishers of men. He wanted them to not just follow him. But he wanted them to follow him, not so they would know what he knew, but that they would do what he'd done. We never read where Jesus fished for uh, fish. We never read that. What we read is that he fished for men. We read that wherever Jesus went, multitudes followed. My father, like many of you here today, was drafted in the Vietnam War in the late 1960s. He served two years serving our country uh, in the United States Army. Well, my brother-in-law in the 90s, he joined the Army after high school while he was dating my sister. And while he was dating her, he would come because he was stationed in Fort Bragg. He'd come home and he would, he would spend time around our home. And when he did, on one occasion I remember distinctly, he was complaining about military life. And he was complaining to my father about military life. My dad said something about the military. He, he, he made the statement, Sir, the military is easy. When he said that, he had my attention because I, I, I just, I weren't sure if I agreed from all that I had heard. But here's what he said. <laughs> you just do what they tell you to do. <laughs> it's that simple. Being in the military, you just do what they say do. Somebody is going to be over you. And when they're over you, you do what they say do. It's not like out here in the real world where you do what you want to do there you do what they say do or you get out and if you get out it has lasting consequences 
Here, he, he made that statement that in the military, you do what they say do. Why is that? Because in the military, doing what they tell you to do, following them will prepare you to carry out their purpose for your life. And folks, following Jesus, doing what he says do, and, and, and doing his will will prepare us in carrying out the purpose that he has for our lives. It's given our lives for the sake of the gospel. Peter, Andrew, James, and John won many to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And many... Many became disciples of Jesus Christ and many continue today through their writings, continue to, through the history of finding out how these boys carried out their lives. We find many today are still becoming believers in Jesus Christ. Here Jesus is telling us today even because of their writings in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, do what I say do, and do what you saw me do. Here he commissioned them after he chose them. He commissioned them to simply follow him and to become fishers of men. Now, not only will Ben, not only is a disciple chosen and a disciple commissioned, but one last thing I want us to see there is there is a cost to being a disciple. Now, when we look here, the Bible tells us immediately Immediately, Andrew and Peter left their nets. And immediately, James and John left their boat and their father, and they followed him. These men left their careers, and they left the most significant relationship, their relationship with their father, to follow Jesus. Now, chances are, God's not going to call you to leave your family. Chances are he's not going to call you to leave your career, although he called me to leave mine. He just may do it. But here we find that he called these boys away from what they knew, the life that they knew. In other words, he called them to give up their own life. It's to know, to follow Jesus, is to know that you've been purchased and you no longer have control of your own life. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 tells us, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, once we become a Christian, we become a follower because we no longer belong to ourselves. Being a disciple means that we deny, we forego, we give up our preferences for Christ's preferences. Henry Blackaby says that when he's seeking the Lord's direction and the Lord's will, he has to reach the place where he can honestly go before the Lord with no will of his own in the matter. Then he's able to pray and find the Lord's direction. Oh, that'll slap you, won't it? Because how often don't we go to the Lord in prayer with our will and what we want in the midst of our prayer? 
And then at the end, we'll tag it at the very end, Lord, in Jesus' name. (laughs) So what we've prayed is, Lord, in Jesus' name, give me what I want. Instead of praying, Lord, in Jesus' name, lead me into what you want for me. (laughs) Paul was speaking to this same very thing in Romans 12 and 1 when he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. In Galatians 2 and 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it means to become a disciple to where we're no longer concerned about what our will is, but we're more concerned about what his will for our life is. Because whatever he has for our life is for our good and for his glory. A disciple decides to be a follower of Christ. A disciple denies himself and chooses instead to serve another. The cost of being a disciple is that you no longer belong to yourself, but you belong to Jesus. So the question becomes today, as we looked in this passage and we saw that first the disciple is chosen. We saw that a disciple is, cho- is commissioned and we see there is a cost to being a disciple question becomes now are you willing to give up yourself in order to belong to God are you willing to accept being chosen and just follow Jesus are you willing to accept the commission that he has for you and to be a disciple and to make other disciples are you willing to pay the cost of being disciple of the greatest rabbi the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher, the greatest man who ever walked the face of the earth? Are you willing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart, and you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church, and I believe God will richly bless you.